Praise God. You know, sometimes we've got to be really, really careful because we have so much beauty all around us. Right now, there's incredible beauty all around this valley. I mean, we don't just have green hills, but they're green. They've been green since January. They'll probably be green hopefully into June. We'll see if we get that long. That'd be like six months. Can you imagine six months of green hills in Simi Valley? We don't get that very often. But it's not just green. There, I was hiking up there today and uh, having a great time. I just, and it was just so beautiful. And I was like, man, the greenery is just, it's a deep green, man. We just get rain after rain after rain. And a lot of places, you know, they get a lot of rain, but it's so cold, it's still not green for them, you know. So we get this green early, and then, but it usually goes away pretty early. And then those folks that get a whole bunch of rain, they get to experience a lot of green for a long time, you know. But right now, we've just got so much beauty. And I just thought, it's such a beautiful time of year. And it's not an accident that Jesus rose from the dead on the resurrection, on the uh, springtime, okay? He rose during springtime. So every time people celebrate the resurrection of Christ, they're celebrating when everything, when life is springing forth. It's not an accident, folks. It's not an accident at all. In fact, uh, right now, many people are celebrating Passover tonight. You know, a lot of our, our Jewish friends are, pa- are celebrating Passover. We've done several Christ in the Passover uh, messages. Uh, Jack Haynes has done several uh, at our fellowship for us. He's moved to Tennessee, so uh, we won't see as many as of those. Maybe he'll come and do one for us again. I was able to do a uh, Passover service with about four or five other pastors, five including myself, a bunch of Calvary Chapel pastors and myself joined together, and we did a Passover uh, service, and it did Christ in the Passover. So, and when Jews' eyes are open and they see Christ in the Passover and they see him, they can't unsee him. But it's interesting because you have Christ's death, burial, and resurrection depicted in thousands of Passovers that are going on this week, right now. And I watched a Jewish person do a Passover service one time for other Jews that knew Jesus, Messianic Jews, Jewish believers, and they're just all bawling. She was the lady that was talking, they were, I don't know if they were sharing parts or whatever, but she was testifying a little bit about, you know, what Christ did, and she was just bawling. I was like, praise God, man, she sees it, you know? And I think one of the neatest parts of the uh, Passover, and we all, we all were able to pick a part to do in the Passover service that we did, and we did it at Calvary Chapel that was on Skyline in Thousand Oaks, and, and I said, Lord, I prayed, I want the Afikoman. I love the Afikoman part, Lord, but I don't want to barge in and say, hey, I want the Afikoman. So I'll just be humble and let everybody else pick first. Somebody goes, I want the plagues. I'm like, you can have the plagues, man. <laughs> you know, I think the plagues are cool to go through. And uh, you know, they picked various parts, and I was at the end, and all that was left was the Afrikoman. I go, I guess I'll do the Afrikoman. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and I love that because uh, the Afrikoman is a part, and this is a Jewish Seder, okay? And God smuggles in, puts in, places all kinds of pictures of the death, burial, and resurrection throughout all of Scripture. Remember, the Old and the New Testament are both Jewish books, right? Amen. I mean, the New Testament is written by all Jewish believers, except maybe Luke. You know, it's, you know maybe believe that he was perhaps a Gentile. But with the Afikoman, they take three pieces of bread, and they hold it up, and it's in this beautiful pouch. Sometimes they're very ornate. I have a couple really nice ones. And there's three, there, there's three, but there's one. What does that sound like, by the way? <laughs> Sounds like the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? I called a Jewish rabbi before I did my part in the Passover Seder. And I asked him, I said, so how do you, that's before the internet was around, right? 
So I was like, uh, I wasn't able to find any books and how they, what their symbolism was in their minds. I go, how do you feel about, you know, what do you guys feel these three pieces of bread depict? And he goes, we really don't know. We've been doing this for a long time, but, but uh, some of us think it could be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told him, that works great. I go, because Abraham is a picture of the father, and Isaac would be the second piece, right? He's like, yeah. And Abraham took Isaac, his only son, whom he loved, up this mountainside, up to Mount Moriah, right? And he was to sacrifice him, but God stopped him, right? He's like, yeah. I go, well, that's such a great picture of Jesus because God took his son up that same mountaintop, not with wood for a fire, which Isaac took on his back, but wood for the crucifixion. He took that cross, and he took his only son, whom he loved, and he, was, he, wasn't, he, didn't, he didn't stop, though. He was sacrificed for us. And, and I just said, oh, that's great that you guys think it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because Isaac's just such a great picture of Jesus. And I explained to him how I believe that the middle piece is a picture of Christ. And I explained why. And he said, that is very interesting. You know, he's nice about it. But when we practice that Passover service, what the Jews do and what we do, they take out that middle piece of bread, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they take out the second piece of bread. And what do they do? It's unleavened bread, right? Jesus used unleavened bread in communion. He said, this is my body. Remember that? This is my body. Take this in remembrance of me. He wasn't just messing around. That, sec, that piece of bread represented his body. Leaven is a picture of sin. Christ is without sin. Amen? So the amazing thing is, is the Jews in Passover today, they're taking the middle piece out. And remember, Isaiah 53, which are Jewish friends in the synagogue, they get to 51, they get to 52, they go through part of 52, then they skip 53 at synagogue. Okay? And then they go right to 54 because it's so clearly Jesus. And it says, by his stripes we are healed. Remember that matzah bread is striped, right? When we hold it up, you can even see the stripe marks. Uh, he was pierced for our transgressions, it says in Isaiah 53. In the Old Testament, it's pierced. It's got all these little holes in it. And it's bruised. And it says in Isaiah 53, it's bruised for iniquities. We know all that, right? So what happens is the Jews take it out and they break it. What do they do? Then they wrap it in linen. Jesus was broken. He was wrapped in linen. Then they bury it somewhere. They hide it. Jesus was buried. And Jesus rose from the dead, and whoever finds him gets eternal life. Oh, and the Passover Seder, whoever finds that piece of bread, they get rewarded. And they're like, the, they're the most blessed person at the trip. They're, they usually pick the kids. All the kids look, and they're like, everybody, they're, they're, they're blessed. Well, you can't get, <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I think, I don't know if the Lord chuckles over that, because his heart also grieves. He wants to see them saved, but it's right there. But there's so many pictures of Jesus throughout the Bible in the Old Testament that we point to Christ. And this message is going to be a little bit on the crucifixion, but more on the resurrection. Because I've just done a few messages on Christ's death for our sins. I did one where we talked about he buries our sins in the depths of the sea, as far as the east is from the west, and what he did for us. Then after that, I went through Isaiah 53, right? Then last week, I talked about the cup of wrath. So I've had three messages on the crucifixion. And I was, that was a tough message for me. I was trying not to cry. I got pretty emotional through that message here and there. And I got, man, I was like, tired afterwards. I was like, man, that's a tough message, you know? Because, but it's powerful when you think that he bore the cup of wrath that we deserve. The cup of wrath that is poured out on the wicked. Father, if possible, let it pass for me. But no, your will be done, though. And he accepted it. 
So I want to talk about the crucifixion just a little bit, but I want to talk more about the resurrection today. And then Sunday, we'll have a, another resurrection message, totally different than this one. I'm excited about that one. I've been working a lot on that. But this one is, is more in like the meaning of the resurrection, you know? Did anybody get our flyer that went out, our little post or big postcard? Is that what it's called? Called a big postcard? I didn't know it was going to be so big, Steve. <laughs> I go, that's bigger than I thought, Tony. <laughs> but it's cool. It's pretty cool if you got it. If you're 93065 uh, area code, you, you probably got it, you know, which is most of Simi Valley. And we wanted to been then, I think it was COVID hit or whatever. We wanted to hit every house in Simi Valley, door by knock on every door. It'd take a long time, maybe a few years off and on witnessing. But we just got most of Simi Valley right there because it's got a strong gospel presentation on it. Usually when you see those kinds of things, it's just an invite. No, man, we'll make sure we get... We're going to spend some money on this, man. You're going to read about how you need to get saved and how much Jesus loves you. Amen? So it's interesting, uh, although the invite's very clear too, right? The front side of it, it's like pretty clear. Uh, but what's interesting is when you think of his resurrection, it is such a, you know, it's been called a eucatastrophe. That's a strange word. Amen? Eucatastrophe. Uh, anybody know what a eucatastrophe is? A eucatastrophe, it's not a very common word, but it's used of a transformative event that takes place. It's not, doesn't, it's not like a catastrophe in the sense of a bad thing. A eucatastrophe is an incredible thing. It's a bad situation, an ugly situation where there seems to be no hope. And then all of a sudden, everything changes and all of a sudden there's hope and there's a happy ending. And that's a eucatastrophe. You can look it up if you want, you know. Uh, but, and to the degree that a circumstance or situation is dismal, heartbreaking, heart-wrenching, where there seems less hope and the more catastrophic it seems, the greater the eucatastrophe is if it transforms that experience and ends up bringing a happy ending. So I would venture to say sometimes Christ's rec- resurrection is called eucatastrophe. I'd say it's the greatest eucatastrophe that had ever taken place. And that's the mindset God wants you and I to have in regard to our faith in Christ and who he is. As dismal and as bad, as ugly as things get in this world, as ugly as your own situation comes in, keep your faith in Christ, amen, because he brings forth the ultimate eucatastrophes. Not only the, the, the ultimate eucatastrophe was his resurrection, amen. amen. There'll be another amazing eucatastrophe. And no, I did not make up that word. Some of you are thinking, did he not? Did he make that up? You know, sounds like a made-up word, right? I guess all words were in a, in a way, except the ones that God gave. Uh, but when you think about it, a eucatastrophe, it's going to get really dark again, right? And the world's getting dark as I'm talking, you know? So it's interesting. Christ's resurrection because his death for the world and then his disciples thinking he was not going to come back from the grave. What happened? You talk about hearts being lifted up. He's the hope of Israel. They're seeing him raise people from the dead, right? Walking on water, you know, healing the blind. And all of a sudden they're like, what happened? And they're just so, because no one has ever loved. I don't get emotional this message. I got to keep going. No one's ever loved like Jesus loved. Amen. And so they experienced greater love than anybody had ever experienced. Yet it was ripped from him. He's crucified. And now there's con- confusion. He's crucified, but he was, 
He healed all these people. He's doing all these things. He, he's quoting all these Old Testament prophecies that he's fulfilling. It makes no sense. And he can't be a liar. So what's going on, you know? Well, ha, Friday was a bummer, right? But Sunday was coming, amen? Sunday was coming. Glory was coming. And this is a cosmic deal we're talking about. This is like galactic, you know? Uh, go to Mark chapter 5, verse, or Mark chapter 15, verse 33. Mark chapter 15, verse 33. And it says, and there's so many, and, and we were able just to talk about the cup last time, right? And the cup of wrath. If you did not hear that message, I really encourage you to listen to Sunday's message on Jesus and the cup of wrath. I really encourage you to check that out because uh, I think it'll really, you'll really appreciate. I had some really people that were really profoundly uh, ministered to by those scriptures we went through. And how he, like, and even online, people were like, I, somebody left, you know, I can't understand how he could love us that much. You know, somebody who viewed it online. And I want to encourage you guys to check that out. I really encourage you about how much Jesus loves you. Now, in, first, in Mark 15, so I can only cover so many things, right? Because there's just so much to it. And that's the cool thing about, you know, I don't do the same message every, every time we talk about the crucifixion or the same message every time we talk about the resurrection. I don't think a pastor ought to. There's so much material there, right? And I'd gone to a church for years where the Christmas message was always the same every year. He just preached the same Christmas message. I only went there for a few years, but he always said, I always preach the same Christmas. I'm like, man, Christmas has got so many scriptures you could deal with, you know? So look at Mark 15, verse 33 and 34. When the sixth hour came... Darkness fell over the whole land. Until what hour? Till the ninth hour. Three hours of darkness. And without getting too much into this, Jesus is bearing our penalty, right? One of the penalty, part of the penalty that we deserve, Jesus said, over and over again, he talked about how the wicked will go into outer darkness. There'll be no light in hell, okay? They'll go to outer darkness. Where Jesus said over and over again, he said there'd be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those who reject God and say, hey, I'm going to be my own God, I'm going to do my own thing, end up in outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yet Jesus bore our sin on our, bore the penalty of our sins, amen? And also there'll be isolation in hell. That's really, really heartbreaking. It won't be a big party, you know? I remember, you know, we have a whole section in They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll where we show uh, one band after another saying, hey, Ozzy Osbourne, hey, we're going to go to hell together. It'll be great because I'll be there. Really? You know? No, you won't be hanging out, partying, you know? We just had a bunch of questions on hell that we answered in our Good Fight radio program. And uh, a lady, uh, Sarah Marie, and uh, this is live, and that hasn't aired yet. So, Sarah, if you're listening... You said you listen to everything, so you're probably listening. Praise the Lord for you. Uh, we try to answer all your questions there because they're great questions. And, but uh, one of the questions was about a couple guys that had experiences of going to hell, supposedly. Not that somebody can't have a vision of hell. God can give somebody that. But are there scriptural? And one was Brian Melvin and the other guy, uh, who, he, who his basically was on the 23 minutes in hell. And that's got millions of views. And they asked if it was scriptural or not. And 
I said, you know what? Even though a lot of that seems to be scriptural, if, if there's anything made up in it, it ruins the whole thing, you know? And I don't remember saying those exact words, but I was saying, I don't, unfortunately, when I match it with scripture, there's some problems. And one of the problems is him and a guy named Brian Melvin, these are the two most popular guys with books out, or, you know, I should say, you know, definitely 23 Minutes Hell became a book. And I said, ah, oh, we've got to look at this. And the problem with it, I said, is that it, well, a big problem in it is, it is the demons, he says, run hell. So when you go to hell, the demons are running. And he's talked about the demons would squish his skull and the demons would go from one cell to another, visit his cell and try to rip his arms off and stuff. And, and I'm like, no, that is not scriptural. You see, the Bible talks about how Satan is under condemnation. When Satan and the demons go to hell, they will be judged. They won't be ruling hell. Okay. In fact, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, Jesus himself said that hell was created for the devil and his angels. Okay. Satan's first in line, by the way. Well, I should say the false Christ, um, I should say the false Christ, the Antichrist, the false prophet are first in line. They'll be there first, actually. So, but it says that it was created for them to be destroyed. And we know that because the Bible says in chapter 3, verse 6 of 1 Timothy, we're just talking about elders. You don't rise somebody up too quick, a new convert to become an elder, lest he fall into the same condemnation incurred by the devil. So Satan, when he gets judged, he'll be condemned. Okay? And that's real clear in Scripture. In fact, in Revelation chapter 20, or chapter 19, when Christ comes back, you know, the first people in the lake of fire is the Antichrist, the false prophet. They're judged, and they're thrown into the lake of fire immediately. Right when Jesus comes back, they're thrown there. Everybody else has to wait a thousand years. They're in Hades. Hades is separate than the lake of fire. Hades is where people go right now. And then they wait the great white throne judgment. Then they're sentenced, if they don't have their names in the book of life, to the lake of fire. So Jesus uh, reveals in the, in the revelation of Jesus Christ that the Antichrist and the false prophet are both thrown immediately in the lake of fire. They don't even wait for the great white throne judgment. God doesn't, he says, no, all their wickedness is profoundly exhibited publicly for the entire world for three and a half years, right? They don't need a trial. You've all seen what the, how wicked these guys were. Boom, they're in like a fire. Well, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, over a thousand years later, Satan's let loose for a short time. And then after a thousand years, he's let loose for a short time. So now it's over a thousand years as he's been trying to deceive again. And it says in verse 20 that he is thrown into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet doesn't say where they were or where they were annihilated, like the Jehovah's Witnesses want us to believe. No, it says where the beast, the false prophet, are. They're still there. And it says, and he and they will be tormented forever and ever. Not a, it's a bad deal. He's not living it up, ruling hell. He's in torment. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 14, it says that Satan himself, uh, when he's cast down to the pit, it says the kings of the earth, the spirits of the dead in the, in, in the underworld, you know, they'll rise up and say, you're the one who deceived us? You're the one that made the world like a wilderness? And, you're the, and in fact, if anyone's being tormenting, people are tormenting him with their words. Like, you did that? Because God's going to strip him of all his power, and he's just emaciated nothing, you know? And he, so don't play into that idea that you know, Satan rules hell and the demons rule hell. Satan doesn't even visit hell. He goes throughout the earth seeking to deceive people. He visits heaven, which is a surprise to many people that don't know their Bibles, and he accuses us day and night, amen? But then it'll be thrown down during the tribulation period and so forth. But what happens is hell, hell is a place of outer darkness. And Jesus 
suffered for us on the cross, and it's a place of isolation, not where you're hanging out with your buddies. It's, it's all love. Everything good comes from God. Amen? The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father in heaven, the Father lights. It all comes from him. Amen? But, but guess what, man? Nothing good is in hell, man. You, have no, you, know, you don't have any love. You don't have any light. You don't have any compassion. You don't have any kindness. And it's heartbreaking. So guess what Jesus went through on the cross? A sense of isolation and a sense of darkness. And since he's an infinite being, when he experiences it, he experiences it in an infinite way. He's able to suffer for everybody. And I still, I want to tell you, even though we did a whole message on the cup of wrath last Sunday, I can't get my brain around it. As far as how intense the pain was that he went through. Because he suffered for each and every one of us. And I told you before, he stood up to Pilate, he stood up to Satan himself. Yet, when the the cup was to to experience the Father's wrath, it was so overwhelming. We talked about that. You can get the message, but he's sweating blood. Blood sweat, it's called hematidosis, all that stuff. But look at chapter 15, verse 33. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's experiencing thirst and everything else we read on the cross. In hell, remember the rich man? I thirst. He's experiencing hell on the cross. And he's also been tortured, right? Tormented. Radically more than any man he's been beaten. His face was, or he was more marred than any man. So when we look at this and we think about the crucifixion, I've I've, I've expressed to you for a long period of time now, for years, what Jesus experienced is a lot of people that get to Christ's crucifixion, oh, look how terrible his, his, body, his body went through. And I think that's important. That's good. I've done that too. I've quoted doctors and stuff. The pain that he went through is excruciating, no doubt about it. Uh, it was meant to be excruciating as possible because the Romans were trying to deter anybody. They made it very public so you would not want that to happen to you. So they cut down on crime and any insurrections that would come against the Roman Empire. It was meant to be very painful. But I personally believe that the intense spiritual pain that Jesus went through was way beyond any physical pain he went through. So it becomes dark, but this is a crazy thing. We're we're talking Friday, but we're also talking about Sunday today in anticipation of our resurrection message is think about the darkness and then what happens on the third day. If there's an angel that appears, there's light. In fact, even the angel, it says, looked like lightning, it says in Matthew 28. Looked like lightning. Just like, think, well, lightning is like a big flash of light. The darkness, and then there's a light. And this is something that we need to really appreciate. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And uh, this is awesome. Now, I've tied this into us becoming new creations before, but I want to tie this into the cross and the resurrection. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says in verse 3, And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. You know anybody who's perishing? Well, the gospel's veiled to them. That's me before I was a believer. I was blinded to it. In whose case the God of this world, that's the devil, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving 
so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the Lord or, or the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Verse 5, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Now look at verse 6. For God who said what? Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has what? Shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the what? In the face of Christ. So this is heavy, guys, because he's speaking on a cosmic level here. He's saying that when Jesus' light, Jesus came into your life, the lights went on. You were in darkness. How about before you knew Jesus, man? We, we, Jesus says that the, those who are in the dark, they, they stumble, right? That's how we were before we knew Jesus. The lights were out. Then the lights came on and we saw, wow, I'm in sin. I need to be saved. And then he put our feet on the rock. And now we walk with Jesus down the narrow road. And now we're in the light. And Jesus said in John chapter 12, around verse 34, 35, 36, he told the non-believers, walk in the light while you have the light. For the time will come when the light will not be here. But walk in light while it's here so you can become children of light. So we embrace Christ, who is the light of the world. He said, I'm the light of the world. Though you walk in darkness, you can have the light of life. Amen? But he said, if you are in darkness, how great is that darkness? And here we see that the gospel is hid by Satan from us, the most powerful cosmic evil entity in existence. The light comes through Christ. All power in heaven and earth is given unto me, the most powerful being, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God, the second person of the triune, triune Godhead. He reveals the light to us. But what does Paul use here? What picture does Paul use as a cosmic illustration of your salvation experience? When God, when God did what? Verse 6, for God who said what? Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts through Christ. So when the world was no light in the world, when the earth was first created, think of it, man, the cosmos. There's no stars or sunshine yet. It's just pure dark. That was a picture of you. That was a picture of me. That's a picture of what Jesus was saying when he said, how great is that darkness? It was so great. It was so intense. And do you remember how it's described? Does anybody remember the Hebrew words? Tohu wabohu. Very good. Tohu wabohu. It says, the earth was formless and void. Formless and void. Tohu, formless. Wabohu, and empty. Now, come on, brothers and sisters. Wasn't that you before you came to Christ? How many of you were empty before you came to Christ? Or formless. You didn't really have any meaning in your life. No real meaning. You didn't know, you, you weren't doing anything that had any eternal effects. You were formless. And you were void. So was I. I was formless, doing my own thing. Do what thou wilt. My whole philosophy in life was do my own thing, like everybody else pretty much, before Jesus. And then what? Void, empty. I was empty, man. Oh, I partied, I got drunk with my friends, smoked a lot of pot with my friends, other drugs. But man, I was always empty, man. I'd come back home, lay in my bed, waiting for the next time to party. You know, busy work week. Okay, well, Friday I can get hammered. Wake up Saturday, why did I get hammered? And just no love, no life, no light. Oh, I had friends and we'd laugh and stuff, but it was an empty lifestyle, man. Futile, like Solomon said, chasing the wind. 
like chasing bubbles, man. You chase a bubble and you catch it. You didn't get anything out of it, really. Oh, I got to go. I didn't get anything out of it. I chased another bubble. Well, that's how the world is, man. They keep chasing bubbles. They pop. They're never satisfied. I did a message called the secret, uh, on the secret of true fulfillment once. And I quote, one person after another talking about how they're empty. Michael Jackson, uh, stars. I'm the loneliest person in the world, he says. Madonna, because I go way back, right? I'm lonely all the time. I'm tormented by a demon, or it's like my demon is being tormented, you know? And all the way to like, Brady had already won half his Super Bowls, like three of them or so. He says, why am I so empty inside? On 60 Minutes, you know? And then all the way today, it's like they're empty because guess what? We were made to know God. The Bible says that God has created eternity within our hearts. And only the eternal God could fulfill it. Shia LaBeouf, remember that guy? He's now claiming to be a Roman Catholic. Pray for him because he's getting closer, you know? But he said, it's like I got to, before that happened, he said, it's like I have a God-shaped hole in my heart, you know? And I'm like, and I remember sharing that. I put that, every time I see something like that from one of these celebrities, I put it in that message, you know? It's supposed to be a track. I finished track. Tony goes, we finished that track a long time ago. I go, we just got to get done then. We just got to publish it. But it's like, he says, it's like I have a God-shaped hole in my heart. And yes, you do, Shia. It is God-shaped. Only God can fulfill you. Amen? So it's really interesting. Pray for that guy, by the way. He's claiming to be Roman Catholic right now. I don't know exactly where he's at, but he needs to embrace the Jesus from the Scripture. But you ever see those little kids? You ever see that commercial where that guy's like a mechanic? And he can't get something done. He's a big guy. He's like, ah. And he's like wrecking it. And he's like, ah. And it shows when he's a little kid. And he's a little boy that's trying to hammer a little square peg through the round hole. God, it won't work. And it shows he just hasn't changed, right? And that's how we are before we know Jesus. We're trying to fill that void with something else. And it could never be filled except by Jesus. Amen? So what's interesting here is God says, you know, let there be light in Genesis. So Paul is saying for us, that when God created the universe, he created the earth formless and void, and it was darkness over the face of the deep. And then what did God say? Let there be light. Amen? <laughs> light. He, Paul is saying, by the Holy Spirit, that that right there in the Old Testament is a powerful picture that God gave us of what it means to be born again. That's a blow mind. He's saying, just like back then, Paul's saying, this is what's happened to us. Why do you think the reason God created the world they, he, the way he created it, that took the steps he took, it's not just, oh, well, it's such a big, beautiful, a lot of poet, poetry of the creation. No, it's not just poetry, although it's that too. It's reality. It's how God did it. And he did it to show you that you were formless, man. You were empty. You were full of darkness before Christ. But when you came to Christ, the lights went on. Do not put the lights out. Do not turn from Christ to your own ways. Amen? Don't go back to the things of the world and back to the formlessness and the emptiness and the darkness. But he said, let there be light, and it was light. Amen? So now on the cross, it just it hit me like a ton of bricks today. I'm like, wow, I love this theme, but wow, the cross is interwoven with this theme too. Of course it is. That's the most radical thing that ever happened, the death, burial, and resurrection, because it's just darkness on the cross, because now he's bearing the darkness that we should be bearing forever. And it's interesting because go to Genesis chapter 3. I'm not bringing you there to look at the Tohu Abohu, although that might be good to just read real quick. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And just go ahead. We look at verse 1 through 3 first. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And then what? And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now guess what? He didn't just say there should be light, but he said, what's hovering over the waters? The Holy Spirit. Amen? And the word hovering there is used of like an eagle hovering over, you know, just it's, it's, it's young. It's hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit, he, I should say, is hovering over the waters. When you got saved, guess what? The Holy Spirit was hovering over you. The Holy Spirit was drawing you. Amen? The Holy Spirit was wooing you. The Holy Spirit was convicting you of, of sin, of, hey, you're dark. You're void. You're, you're empty, you know, and of righteousness, right? He convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. Hey, you're going to be judged. You're going to stay in darkness. You're going to have darkness forever. Holy Spirit, and, and he draws us. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. If anyone was thirsty, let him come and drink of the water of life freely or without cost. Revelation twenty two seventeen. 17. Holy Spirit's still calling people to come out of darkness. So Holy Spirit's there. So boom, you have this, this massive, wonderful picture of, of the new life in Christ. But what's interesting is when does this new life, when does the vegetation because we're talking about springtime. Isn't it interesting that Jesus rose from the dead in the springtime, right? So as we look at springtime, isn't it interesting? As we look at springtime, we say, wow, what a beautiful picture. But why is springtime such a beautiful time for the resurrection of Christ? Because all this new life is coming forth, amen? But what's interesting is when did Jesus die, rise from the dead? On what day? Second day, fourth, fifth, sixth? Third. Third. I didn't even give you the right multiple choice. That's really good. <laughs> On the third day, he rose again, amen? Boom, comes from the grave. Not an accident. And you're going to see how this all ties together as we study this. Not an accident that he rose on the third day, guys. Because when did God in his creation scenario, as a picture of us coming out of light, darkness to light, when did God bring forth vegetation on the earth? Look at verse 11. Then God said, let the earth, What? Sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with their seed uh, in them after their kind. Notice he keeps saying, guys, he's redundant to, a, to a, not a fault, to God's glory you'll see. He keeps saying after their kind, after their kind, after their kind. Isn't that interesting? Remind me, in case I forget later, because I should have made a note on this because it's so interesting. Uh, was seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. Look at verse 13. And there was what? Evening. And there was morning. What? It was a third day. That's the third day, man. It's all a picture of creation. Once you start seeing these things, like I said, you cannot see them. It's like, wow, you start to read Genesis. Wait, one through three. Wow, that's a picture of us, Paul says. Wow, the third day, life comes forth. That's when Christ rose from the dead. And, brought, and, it brings, and, and the vegetation brings forth things according to their kind. Now, it's interesting, too. Don't miss this, guys. Don't miss this. Because in the Western world, when we look at a day and a night, and we look at night or day, when we speak of a 24-hour day, it's comprised of two parts. Which are they? What's that? Night and day. And Jim, you're right. And in what order? In the, it's night and it's day. So when does the day start? 
Ah, this day started, this new day starts when we talk about a 24-hour day, even though at midnight we'll call it a a day, it's still dark, right? It starts with darkness, right? I'm sorry, it started this morning, right? I've got my mind in the Hebraic mindset, which is where it ought to be, really. But in the West, when we think of it, we think now we're headed toward night, which is the second part of the day, right? So uh, in the West, the day starts with what? A day starts with morning, and then it ends with evening, right? Okay, now, I've talked about some of these things here and there, but I'm trying to bring them all together for you because it's all depicted in the resurrection, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. On the third day, for us, a third day starts the morning and ends with night. Is that how God looks at things? No, what does he say in, in the last verse there? What does he say in verse 13? There was evening and there was what? Morning, a third day. And you look at every day he mentions when he shows that it's always the evening first. And then it's the morning. The evening, God looks at the day as starting with evening and then morning. How did the creation start? It started with darkness, right? Let there be light. Are you, see, are you with me? Now he's showing that every day starts with night. And from God's perspective, it ends with day. Now, this is interesting to me because the world looks at it as it starts with morning and everything goes downhill from there. You're born, and then all of a sudden, guess what? You're healthy to a degree, then you start getting unhealthy, and you get more and more unhealthy as you get older. Uh, it's, 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 It's light, but it gets darker and darker. You're young, you get old. You're healthy, you get unhealthy. You're alive, and then you die. That's how the world looks at it. Isn't that right? Not how God looks at it for believers. For us, it starts out as night. We are in darkness, just like the cosmos was. Then he said, let there be light. And then light came and we had a new day, amen? Isn't that glorious? You guys love to study scriptures together. Scriptures are so beautiful, you know? What's that? Oh, praise God, bro. You sound like you got a microphone back there. That's really good. <laughs> so all of a sudden we're a new life now this is what's interesting now look at the cross it's darkness right then they got to bury him before it's too dark because the sabbath is going to start right he's crucified on passover passover what comes after passover uh, what comes after friday what day is the sabbath saturday amen so they got to bury him before it's nighttime. Because night is when the day starts in the Jewish mind, right? Not the way the Westerns think. They have it right because they got it from God. So we, gotta, we can't be working on the Sabbath, so we got to bury him before. That's why they broke his legs to crucify, uh, or they wanted to break his legs. They didn't, when it came to him, his legs were already broken. Try to speed up the crucifixion. Well, this is amazing. So uh, they tried to speed up the crucifixion so he'd die so they didn't have to work on the Sabbath. They could bury him. They came to Jesus and he was already dead. They didn't have to break his legs. And it fulfilled the scripture that the Passover lamb's legs or bones were not supposed to be broken. Because Christ the Passover, and Friday night when Christ was being crucified, was Passover. Because he's the Passover lamb. The blood was put on the lintel, the doorpost, and the lintel, forming a cross. And the death angel passed over on the 10th plague. And if the Passover lamb, it had to be a perfect lamb, no blemishes. It had to be a male, and it had to be put in the form of a cross. It's in Exodus, Right? Then you, the angel, death angel would pass over it. Well, guess what? Christ died on Passover day. Read the scripture. That's not an accident either. All this is really profound. 
So then when you go to the Scripture and you read John chapter 20, if we can turn there, it would be great, verse 11. But Mary was standing outside the tomb. That's John chapter 20, verse 11. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to a woman, why are you weeping? Isn't that interesting? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord and do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Suppose him to be, supposing him to be who? The gardener. She thought he's just the gardener. She said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me. So she, she, he says, Mary, he, she hears the concern. She hears his voice. She's like, whoa. She turns around. This is Jesus. He hasn't been carried. Wow. Stop clinging to me, he says, for I have not yet ascended to my father or to the father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and to your father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had, uh, what he had, he had said these things, you know. So she's, if you read in Matthew chapter 18, it talks about this with the dazzling angels, there's all this light. The last time they saw it was the darkest day on earth for them. Now it's the brightest day on earth. In fact, in Matthew 28, it says they left when they first discovered the tomb was empty, and the angel said he is risen. It says they left with fear and great joy. So what I'm saying, folks, is the resurrection, it transforms everything. It transforms our lives. It transforms our destiny. It transforms uh, how we view life. It, uh, it, it transforms, uh, it takes away the, the, the sadness and the despair that life brings and brings great joy because we have incredible hope. Now, it's incredible because when Jesus rose from the dead, I believe there was an incredible burst of light. I believe that because... When we rise from the dead and Jesus comes, and there'll be people being raptured everywhere. Remember that? It says, you know, one will be, you know, two people will be working in the field, one will be taken, one will be left behind. Uh, two will be in the bed, one will be taken, one will be left all over the earth. And guess what it'll look like? Lightning shining from the east to the west when Jesus comes back. He's lit up, man. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, what did he do? When Moses and Elijah were there with him and the disciples watched, he was transformed before them. It says he, his face shined like the, the sun. When John saw the resurrected Christ and Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and have the keys of hell and death. When John fell down right before Jesus said that, he said, I saw Jesus, and he said, his voice was like the sound of many waters, right? And in his right hand, he had, uh, uh, was holding seven stars, and his countenance was the like the sun shining its strength. And John said, I felt like a dead man before him. I just fell down like, like I'm, I was dead. <laughs> Light. Oh, by the way, the Shroud of Turin, okay? which the more they look at the Shroud of Turin, the guys that first began to study it, the scientists who were supposedly debunking it or came in skeptical, they're tripping out now. Some of them have died. The Italian scientists that studied the Shroud of Turin, people thought it was a painting. 
Now they realize there's no, it's not a painting. They can't duplicate it. They don't know how. Come on, come on, guys. It's way, you think it was a forgery way back in the 14th century or so, and you still can't even duplicate it? And they found there's no paint on it. And Jewish skeptics who have studied it, scientists have become believers in Yeshua, Jesus. They're like, there's not paint on it. In fact, paint gets absorbed by the threads, right? It's only the first top part of the threads that actually are colored, and it's not paint. They've tested it. But Italian scientists, a few years back, was reported a commission of, they, they looked at it. There was no way. They couldn't figure out what it was. And finally, they found out how it was done, how they think it was done. They said the only way it could have been done, because they were able to duplicate at least getting that kind of discoloration, not in the form of what looks like Jesus. They couldn't do that. But they were able to discolor cloth. But guess how they had to do it, what they had to do to do it? They had to use lasers. And they came to the conclusion that some supernatural effect of burst of light took place to cause that to happen. Come on, guys. He is risen. Amen. You know, he is risen. It's just a blow mind. And I, there's so many proofs. I'm going to talk about a little bit of that on Sunday and show you some pictures and stuff. It's just so, so awesome. So Italians make good spaghetti, good pizza, and make some good scientists too, man. Uh, but anyway, Christ is coming back, and we don't stay in a state of gloom, amen? We move from darkness to light, and we're looking forward to his return. And, that's, and you should have this, you know, catastrophic mentality that, praise God, no matter how gloomy my day gets, how bad my life's going, no matter what I'm going through at work or in a relationship or, or at school, that, praise God, I can count on the resurrected Christ to intervene in my life because he's already risen from the dead and he's my Lord and Savior and he's all about turning Fridays into Sundays, amen? amen? Taking darkness and making it light. And I love that, guys, because listen to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. This is the, now, for the world, everything gets darker and darker. Isn't that true? Amen. And then there's outer darkness. It's sad because they don't want the Lord. But for the believer, listen to the Old Testament book of Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. But the path of the righteous... Is like, the, is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until it reaches its full strength and glory in the perfect day. Isn't that awesome? The path of the righteous. The broad road, Jesus says, leads to destruction. Most people are on that road, he said. But the narrow road, few people are on it. But he says it leads to what? Life. And Christ is the life. Amen? He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the light of the world. It leads to him. And the closer we get to him and we stay on that path, eventually there's the dawning of the fullness of all eternity in him. Our hearts, remember he put eternity in our hearts, but no one could fill that except the eternal God. Other than a little pea or a little pellet or nothing, it just, ding, doesn't fill that up, but Jesus does. And I love 2 Peter 1.19, his second coming. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. We're looking forward to his return, amen? I mean, that's why we have the scripture up there, blessed hope. We're looking, looking for the blessed hope and the, and the glorious appearing of, of our, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen? And I love this, guys. What were the first words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, the most popular message ever preached? Anybody remember? What was the first beatitude? Blessed are who? The what? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Good job. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of God. Jesus speaks of the poor in spirit. He's concerned about the poor in spirit. 
He's concerned about, he cares about those who are not all proud and arrogant and saying, man, I'm, I'm just so awesome. I don't need God. The, those who are poor in spirit say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. I need, I need to get right with God. I need to, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, right, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, I think that's interesting, the early words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. What are his first words after the resurrection? I love this. Mary, why are you weeping? He's concerned about her state. Isn't that interesting? And why are you weeping? And there's a lot of times where we go through things in our lives by way of just think about this in way of application to your own life, where there's times where we're weeping because we get our eyes off of Jesus, right? And we go through a funk or whatever, and we get our eyes off of Jesus, and we ought not be weeping. Now, in her case, she didn't know he had been resurrected. She didn't really comprehend fully that he'd been resurrected. She's trying to get her brain around all of this, you know. But guess what? When you're going through the worst times, remember what you're going through, and it can be incredibly painful at times, okay? What's that word, that funny word I introduced you to? I don't know if I can say it right without looking at the paper. Eucatastrophe instead of catastrophe, but a eucatastrophe or eucatastrophe, right? Remember this. Whatever I'm going through, through Christ, I have new life, amen? The light of Christ is shining me. I don't have to be formless, void, and darkness anymore. I just need to follow Jesus. And the light, my path will get brighter and brighter. There'll be dark spots and there'll be trials along the way that test us, tribulations and trials that we all face those. You stay on the path and it will continue to get brighter and brighter, amen? You turn away from Jesus and go the other way. Your life will just get darker and darker because you're turning away from the living Christ, the light of, the light of life. He is our life. Deuteronomy, the Lord says, he is our life, and he is our light. So it's interesting here is the first thing he says to her, are you, why are you weeping? But guess where? Guess what happens? When she see, hears his voice and she turns to him, what does she do? She clings to him. Good decision. Now, he hasn't yet ascended to the Father, so she, he's like, you can't keep me here. <laughs> I'm going to go to the Father. They're like, she's like, never leave again, you know? And that's the attitude we need to have with Jesus. Stay here with us, Lord. Now, physically, yes, thank God you ascended because the Holy Spirit wouldn't come, but spiritually, I'm with you always to the end of the age, amen? So no matter what funk you're in, remember, tohu wabohu, look what God did. Remember, what happened at the cross, the worst day ever, but then there's this eucatastrophe, everything changes, and Sunday morning, light and love, and then Mary's heart is broken. Why are you weeping? She finds her peace in Jesus. She turns to Jesus. Long for Jesus in the midst of your trials. Amen? When you're going through a dark funk, don't stay there. Don't, like Peter, look at the waves and start to sink. Get your eyes back on Jesus, and guess what? Your path will get brighter and brighter. Amen? It's so important, guys. In fact, I love it. Listen, ultimately it gets so bright and her tears got wiped away. Ultimately, all of our tears will get wiped away. Remember that. No matter how many tears you've had, how much you cry, God's going to wipe those tears away. Isaiah 25, 8 says, He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. Wow. Revelation 7, 17. For the Lamb is in the center of the throne 
And he will be their, shepherd, uh, be their shepherd, and he will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I love that. She turned to Jesus, her tears will go away. We turn to Jesus, ultimately all of our tears go away. Re- uh, Revelations 21.4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the former things have passed away. I love Psalm chapter 30, verses 4 and 5. Sing the Lord, you saints uh, of his. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only for a moment. But check this out. But his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. I don't think it's an accident. All these scriptures are in the, in the, in the Bible for us. There's a night. Represents darkness. Represents sin at times, like in Romans 13, and drunkenness. But guess what? We turn from the night. We're headed toward the day, man. We're waiting for the day star to dawn, for Christ to come back. And you say, well, what if he didn't come back in my lifetime, my lifetime and I just die? Well, to be absent from the body when you die is be present with the Lord if you're a Christian. Amen? There's the light again. Amen? You'll experience the light of Christ. Listen to Lamentations. Talk about a dark time. Talk about being in a spiritual funk. Judea had gone into Babylonian captivity. Jeremiah warned them to turn from their sins. The southern kingdom didn't turn from their sins. The Babylonians came in and they were ripped from their homes. Children at times ripped from their arms. And the southern kingdom of Israel is in despair, right? But what did the Lord promise them in 29.11 of Jeremiah? That I haven't planned for you calamity, right? But for blessing, hope, welfare, I want to bless you. That's if they would seek him. They could get back on the path. They got off the path. They got on a dark path. God shook them up. And he says that throughout Deuteronomy, read 28, 29, 30, 31, 32. He says, if my people turn from me and they worship other gods and they forget about me and they do their own thing, he said, instead of all these blessings which he pronounces, I'm going to bring all these curses upon you and I'm going to cause you to be dispersed throughout the nations. But then he says, but if you turn back to me and seek me, I'll bring you back into the land of Israel. And that same thing happens to us. If you get off the, 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 the narrow road, God loves you enough to allow you to experience some darkness and hopefully not take your life before you've turned back. And then he puts you back on the right path so you can experience the joy of the Lord. And in Lamentations, Jeremiah is like, man, his heart is so broken of what's happened to his people. And he's been rejected as a prophet. They considered him a false prophet. Then they started seeing what he said would come to pass. Come to pass. Listen to Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19. The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. But this I recall to mind, and therefore I have hope. And I I tell this to people when I counsel sometimes. I use this passage. I said, sometimes you can get in a funk. and you, You can't get out of that funk because you're focused on the funk. You're focused on the depression. You're focused on how bad you feel. And I encourage them. I say, look what happens to Jeremiah here. He says, my soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. He's just, his soul is bowed down. He is in a spiritual funk. But this I recall to mind, and therefore I have hope. What is it, Jeremiah? What is it? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. God's faithful, guys. He never changes. the same yesterday, today, and forever. It never ceases. And God's mercies, Jeremiah says, never come to an end. They are new every morning. There's the morning time again. Amen. Woo! Friday, yeah, sad. I think I titled this message, 
Good Friday, but great Sunday. Amen. He says, you know, they are new. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will have hope in God. The Lord is good to those who will wait. For the soul that will seek, it is good. And we'll find out that it's good and that he should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, the context or the point here is that look to Jesus. Look to the Lord. Seek him in prayer. Do you have a time when you spend time with the Lord in prayer? It's important to carve out a time in your day where you say, I'm going to make sure I have a place where I can sit and seek the Lord or stand and seek the Lord or walk and seek the Lord. And we're called to pray without ceasing. But, and that's beautiful. We see that should always try to have an attitude of prayer, amen? But it's also important to just find a place where you can just lift up your hands and talk to the Lord or, or kneel down and, and lift up your hands or just kneel down and bury your face in your bed and cry out to God. It would be good to have, it's good to have a few different places. I have a few places. I think you should say, hmm, where's a good place? I mean, how many of you seek the Lord when you're driving? Yeah, that's a good place to pray. Sometimes you're not praying and then you're reminded to pray because you just almost hit this person and just slam the brakes on in front of you, you know, because they're on the phone and they realize, you know, or whatever. But uh, his mercies are new every morning. And it's interesting because uh, he gives us lasting peace. Remember Cain was in a funk? He was so angry with his brother Abel. Wanted to kill him. And the Lord said to him, Cain, why is your countenance what? Do you remember that? Why is your countenance fallen? You know, the Lord says that he's the lifter of our heads. When our countenance is down and we're going through some spiritual depression, he wants to lift our heads up. But guess when he lifts our heads, guess who he points them to? Himself. Even when the world gets incredibly dark, and it says it's going to get so dark that you won't even be able to see the sun and the moon and the stars won't shine. Pitch dark. And it says the world's hearts will fail them for fear of things coming on the earth. Luke 21. But Jesus said, what? Lift up your heads for your redemption is getting close, drawing nigh. Amen? So even when it gets as dark as it could possibly get during the tribulation period, we can lift up our heads and say, my Lord is coming, the blessed hope of Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, the cool thing is, you can look at the macro, the big picture. Woo, man, creation, second coming, resurrection, light, 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 over and over again. Amen? New heavens, new earth. What is in New Jerusalem? There's no more night there. It's just eternal day. Amen? You can look at the big picture, but you need to draw a line to your little picture, which is your life. And say, when there's darkness in my life, when things are feeling heavy, when I feel a sense of gloom and I don't know why it is, or I just feel sad for some reason, seek Jesus. He is the light of the world. He says, I give you peace. Not like the world gives you peace. Do I give you peace? He said, in the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The world gives you a piece of this, right? The world gives you a piece of that, and they'll say, you're going to be happy. And you, you get all these pieces together, and you say, why am I empty? Because you don't have the main, you don't have Jesus. That's why. Or as a Christian, that can happen because you get away from Jesus. You start looking at things. You get your focus off of him. And you're not finding, you're not drinking from the living water. And you get dried up inside. But he loves you. He, he loves you so much. He wants you to just embrace him and, and accept his love and his light and, 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 the, and, the, and the water of the Spirit in your life. Amen? He cares about you. And, you know, he says in 1 Peter 5, cast your cares on him because he what? cares for you. He cares for you individually. Knows every hair on your head. Knows the very day you'll die. He loves you, but he doesn't just look at you. He cares about you. Oh, isn't he mad at me? 
He loves you so much, he sent his son in the world not to condemn the world, but the world through him may be what? Saved. Oh, he's mad at your sin, and it's messed up. If you keep embracing it, you'll be in trouble. But he wants you to turn. Jesus said he came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to give his life as a, a ransom for many. Not few, just the few, but the many. Everyone. He says he gave himself a ransom for all, 1 Timothy 2.6. So this is all so uh, important. He sees you. Uh, well, I feel, like I, I, don't, I feel like I'm just a rotten person. Remember Hagar? She was picking on Sarah along with her son. And God had them, yeah, Abraham, or Sarah's right, Hagar, or Abraham, she's not your wife, you need to put her out of the tent. You should have had a baby with her, by the way, right? He didn't say that, but he says put her out of the tent. Hagar is weeping, not knowing what she's going to do. And guess what? The Lord arranges, just shows her that he loves her and speaks to her. And she calls him. The only time he's given this name is the Lord who sees. God sees God saw Hagar hurting. He sees each and every one of us. That's why we have to call upon him. And we have to reach out to him and respond to the overtures of his grace and, and respond to his great love. Now, I think it's interesting here as well. This all just trips me out because she thinks that she sees, she thinks that Jesus is who? She thinks he's the gardener. Where have you put him? And uh, Joseph Arimathea, I mean, Jesus was borrowing his tomb for three days and three nights, right? And he's, Joseph Arimathea was a wealthy guy, and his gardener was there. Perhaps it was his gardener, I imagine so. And she's thinking, or she'd seen the gardener, maybe where they're doing the embalming or what have you. So she thinks Jesus is a gardener, but he's not. He says she thinks she, he's a gardener. I love that. Because she's wrong, but she's right. Because Jesus is the gardener. Isn't that interesting? He's the second Adam. Romans chapter 5, 1 Corinthians 15. He's called the second Adam, the last Adam. He came to reverse the curse. Amen. What was Adam's job over the first creation? He's the gardener. What's Jesus' job with the new creation, the resurrection, and bringing new life from peop to, to people? He's the gardener. He bears the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Amen. As we seek him. He's the vine. We're the branches. If we abide in him, we'll bear much fruit. Amen. He's the best gardener. Think about that. I don't think it's an accident that God lets it happen because they rebelled, they sinned against God in, the, in, in paradise, in Eden, which was a garden. Well, guess where this tomb was? Joseph and Arathea's tomb. Where was it? In a garden. Not an accident. The thorns and thistles came up. What you guys know? What did, Jesus, what did they put on Jesus' heads? Thorns and thistles. Genesis 3, thorns and thistles came up. A curse. Jesus bears the curse. The Old Testament curse everyone hangs on a tree. Jesus is hung on a tree. He bore the curse for us. All these themes are so rich, and they all come together at once in, this, in, the, in the death, burial, and resurrection. So beautiful. And he's the second Adam. And <laughs> go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And you know, we've gone through Adam and Eve being a picture of Christ in the church and that whole scenario. I'm not going to get into all that because that's a message in itself. But in Adam, well, it's kind of interesting what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. And Paul is talking all about Christ's resurrection. This whole chapter is on his resurrection. Beginning in the first few verses where he talks about that, you know, that, that Jesus died according to the Scriptures, was buried and rose again according to to the scriptures by which you are being saved, if you hold fast, he says 
and have not believed to no effect or in vain. In verse 20, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. The what? First fruit of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, all what? All die. We were in Adam. Before we were Christians, we're all in Adam. We all inherit his sinful nature. We're not punished because of his sin. We have our own sins. We reach an age of accountability, and then we follow his pattern of life, and we do our own thing. And like Adam, who represented us, we die. And in Adam, all die. So also in Christ, what? All will be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the what? Christ the what? What's he called there in verse 23? The first fruits. Christ the first fruits after that those who are Christ at his coming. So Christ the first fruits of the resurrection. Think about it now. After that, what happens? The rest of us who follow Christ will be resurrected. But he's called the first fruits. Isn't that interesting? You know why? Because we're back to the garden. What rose on the third day? What came to life out of the ground, which seemed dead? All these vegetation, third day. The first fruits of the earth, first fruits on the planet came what day? The third day. Christ is called the first fruits of the resurrection. And then everybody else that gets raised from the dead to life, it says we'll be like him. Remember I said, bring it back to my attention if I forget it, that each of these plants brought forth fruit according to its kind? You know why God emphasizes that? To also destroy, evolu- to destroy Darwinism, by the way. Darwin teaches everything just came out of a, some... And then, and then somehow all these male and females came and they just waited for each other to produce reproductive systems that matched on each species. And then they got together. They were attracted to each other and they had ovums. It's ridiculous, okay? I mean, it, here's your brain to think of how that could even possibly happen by chance, you know? But God created everything, male and female and so forth. Some things he created unisex, but most things are male and female, and they produce after their kind. But he's the first fruits. And Jesus said in John 12, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The fruit that we get from Christ rising is our own resurrections. And this is what's crazy to me, guys. What day was Jesus crucified? We call it good what? Friday. What was the next day? What's up? Friday is the Sabbath, Saturday. And the day after the Sabbath is what? Sunday. Now, this is so cool. I love this. It all fits with the Genesis. Is it says in Genesis chapter 1 that God gave the times and the seasons for them in regard to their festivals. It's kind of a trip when you go look at that. We, we did a whole podcast on the typology. The God gave the, new, the moons. He put everything out there, man. To, to help with the Jewish festivals and the times and the seasons. And it's a religious language that's used there for the festivals. So even the way God directed the cosmos, the full moon, when Passover would take place and everything, guess what? Friday, Christ is crucified. What Jewish holiday was on that, was that Friday? Remember? Passover. Good Friday, we call it Good Friday. It was Passover. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, 10 chapters earlier, Paul says, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. He was our Passover. He's the lamb that was slain. But now we're in chapter 15, and he calls him Christ the first fruits. Well, this is what's heavy. Are you with me still? After Friday, that's, that's Passover, then there's the Sabbath, and the day after the Sabbath was a special holiday. It was the feast of first fruits, when they would have to give Thanksgiving offerings dictated by the law. And on the Sunday after that Sabbath, after the Passover, 
the, the, the day after the Sabbath. In fact, let me read it. Leviticus 23.10 says this, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land which I am going to give you, give to you to reap its harvest, then you shall bring in the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. Now listen to this. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord for you to be accepted on the day after the Sabbath shall the priest wave it. <laughs> Passover, he's crucified. Sabbath comes Saturday. Sunday morning, right when the sun was coming up, the, sh- the priest would wave the first fruits as a thank offering to the Lord. And as the priest is on the third day waving the sheaf, Jesus is rising from the dead because that's a picture of him. Like I said, when you start seeing this stuff, you can't unsee it. Pfft, wow. And so our lives are in Christ, guys. And... And because he's risen, it says we'll rise too. Amen. And I'll just say this in closing. I've only got a page left, but I'm going to skip it and just say this. It is because I was going to go to Romans chapter 6. And at Romans chapter 6, so we don't have time to read and everything, but in Romans chapter 6, I use this at the baptism we had. And I read this scripture, and it talks about how that same passage in Romans, he talks chapter 5, that we were in Adam, but now we're in Christ. Before you were saved, you were in Adam. And I talked to them about, and it talks about how the, the resurrection and, when, and, and baptism, we go into the water. He says, we're entering Christ's death. We come out of the water, we're entering Christ's life. When you go in the water, that's darkness, man. Jesus was buried and it was dark. You come out of the water, that's new life. Your old life, understand this. And if you could leave with a lot of things today, I believe you can really benefit from this study tonight. But this is one thing you want to leave with is that you were once in Adam. I was once in Adam. We were dead in our sins, amen? Children of wrath. But guess what? When we come to Christ because of his death, burial, and resurrection, and he died for our sins, and we recognize that, what happens in the water is a picture of what happens spiritually when we're born again. Because when it says you're risen in new life, so when you came to Christ, you were born again, and now you're no longer in Adam, you're in who? In Christ. He's the first fruits of the resurrection, and we arise according to his kind, and it says, We'll be like him. Are you with me? How glorious is that? You are no longer in Adam, you are in Christ. And guess what? Sometimes you look at yourself and say, I'm such a failure. I fall so short. How could God put up with me and so forth? I think we all do that from time to time. I've been there, you know? But guess what? On your worst day, if you're still trusting Jesus and you're seeking him in your heart, amen? doesn't matter what kind of dark funk you go into. You're still in Christ, amen? Because the Bible says you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, amen? And we're not saved by works of righteousness that we could do. We're saved by his grace, amen? So we ought to be very, very happy no matter, because now the Paul said, not that it be found in my own righteousness, but by the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, amen? We once, our, our clothes were filthy rags, but now we're clothed in Christ, amen? You are in Christ because of his death, burial, and resurrection, Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God a million times over. Amen. Amen. So rejoice in who you are in Christ and be happy about it and happy resurrection to you. And it's 32, 33 after. So I'm done. And I love you guys so much. (laughs) Father God, we love you. We praise you. Amen. Let's give God glory. You're right. Amen, Father. We love you so much, Father God. And we pray, Father, for anybody who doesn't know Jesus, that they realize how much they're loved by him and how they were made by him, created by him, 
to know him and to shine his light and be like him and be in his likeness forever and ever. In Jesus' name, come to Christ. He paid for your sins. He rose again. Turn from darkness to light and embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you'll be saved by his grace through faith and not of your own works. You'll pass from death to life. And the light will get brighter and brighter throughout for all eternity. You'll be with him in his marvelous light. In Jesus' name, amen.